podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Salah. Escape Cancelo. Oh, it's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a go and scored a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. And it is what Martinelli scores. Still going up. Oh, he's done it again. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Tariwa Chanakira, and his guest, Jake Jackman. It's game week two, and you know what that means, it's time for another brand new episode of a tad predictable guys episode 103 thank you so much for joining us and i am pleased to announce our guest for this week the newly crowned champion of bank it or burn it he won it last season jake jackman jake you still owe me a photo buddy yeah, I know it's it's on my to do list. We, we, I'm sure we'll get it out before this. Uh, with, with this episode, I'll get it done tonight. I'll get my Newcastle shirt on and take a nice picture with the trophy. Oh, you know, I think there should be uh, there should be some pictures of Newcastle with people in Newcastle shirts holding trophies. So I'll, I'll I'll make that happen. I was going to say, is is that an omen for the season ahead? Exactly. Yeah, I was, uh, start start the season with a picture of somebody with a trophy in a Newcastle shirt, and the, end the season with uh, Kieran Trippier with the Champions League trophy. There we go. That would be fantastic. Well, Jake, before we dive into the Premier League fixtures for this weekend, obviously um, one of the games is not taking place, and I guess that's probably why my one Burnley player in my fantasy team doesn't have a fixture next to his name, but Luton were meant to take on Burnley this weekend. It was going to be the first, obviously, Premier League game to be hosted at uh, Kenilworth Road, but unfortunately, the stadium isn't quite ready yet. Obviously, when they got promoted, they had to do, as they said, extensive work on their stadium to make sure it's ready and meets the regulations of the Premier League. So unfortunately for their fans, they're going to have to wait a little bit longer to to taste Premier League football at home, but w- what are your thoughts on on the delay and what kind of atmosphere we're we're to expect or anticipate from from Kenilworth Road in in weeks to come? Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a really good atmosphere. I think it's going to be similar to to teams we've seen before when they've come up. We've seen um, Bournemouth, Dean Court with quite a good atmosphere to start with. Uh, also now with Vitality, um, we saw it with Huddersfield when they came up. Uh, they had a few good results early at home. I remember Newcastle being the first team to go to Huddersfield in their first season and we got turned over there. Um, we've obviously seen, seen it with loads of clubs that they come up and last year Forest was, was the perfect example where the, the home form really carried them to survival. So they'll be relying on, on their home form. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be big for them. Um, I'm slightly surprised they didn't take up the, the, but I think it was Burnley turned down the option to play it at, at Turf Moor. This week and swap the fixtures. Obviously not ideal to sort of front load your home fixtures, but you know, they played Man City, lost to them. They've got Villa, Tottenham, 
um, Forest away in Manchester United to come. You'd have thought a, a home game against Luton would could have kick-started their season. So I'm surprised they turned that down, but um, obviously didn't want to uh, front-load their, their home fixtures. Um, so yeah, I think that would it, it probably doesn't do any of them any favours sort of missing a game this early. But um, yeah, I think once once Kenilworth Road is ready, it's going to be a, a unique atmosphere, um, more like the 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 lower leagues and maybe even non-league than it is a Premier League ground. And, and I think that um, I think Callum Wilson made quite a good point when he was talking about this in his podcast this uh, this week when they were talking about Luton. They were saying he was saying that you know for him playing at grounds like that, he loves it because he's come up through the leagues. But there'll be other sort of foreign players that aren't used to playing in, in grounds and atmospheres like that that. And, and that some teams could have a real problem going to Luton, so it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, obviously, I, I think they're a little bit short on quality, but when you're a little bit short on quality, you need to find your advantages and uh, elsewhere. And I think that their home crowd and, and the tightness of that stadium and the uniqueness of it can, can be a real asset to them. Yeah, I'm sure their fans will be leaning on that. So will Guy Drinkle because he predicted that they're going to stay up in our reckless predictions. In the first episode, I, I took a quick scan down the fixture list in the hope that Burnley Luton, the, the, the fixture at Turf Moor was going to be closer to the end of the season, which would have maybe justified why Burnley wanted to wait to play that game in case they needed that in their back pocket, um, as three sort of, you know, three points to target. But that game's in January. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely surprised at, at why they turned down the opportunity to play this game. Again, maybe it gives them another, you know, well, two weeks to prepare for their next fixture. Um, maybe that plays into it as well. We know their next fixtures against Aston Villa. It's going to be a tough game. Well, a tough game for some teams, but we'll get to Newcastle in a little bit. Let's start off with, uh, the first fixture of the weekend. It's Nottingham Forest versus Sheffield United. Now, you mentioned Nottingham Forest's home form last season, which was key to them. I'm sure. They'll be hoping to continue that in, in this fixture against a promoted team. What do you make of this fixture? What did you make of Sheffield United in their sort of debut for this season? Yeah, I'll start with Sheffield United because um, I think they've been written off quite a lot this season. Um, already we've seen them lose a few key players. Um, one of them um, being Illiman and Dai. I was really excited to to see him in the Premier League, but he's gone to Marseille, which is a big blow for them. He was great in the Championship last year. Uh, also lost Sander Burge to, to Burnley. So it does seem a little bit strange what they're doing there. Um, they've uh, they've obviously uh, got got a few financial issues of their own. I know that the owner's not too happy there and he's trying to move on. So yeah, it does look like it's going to be really difficult for them this year. Um but they have made a couple of good signings. Gustavo Hamer, who's designed, is, is a really, really exciting player. He was great for Coventry last year. Um, and it seemed like it was the natural step up for him to come up to the Premier League. Um, so I think that's a really good signing for them. It's one that if they do go down, he, he's already proven in the, uh, already proven in the championship. And, and if he does well, then there's obviously a chance for them to make a further profit next, next summer. So, um, that's always, an interesting one. I don't really know a lot about the rest of their signings, to be honest. Uh, Larucci played a few times for Liverpool, but I, I don't really know how he's gone since then. And signing him from a, a, a league der side is a little bit uh, interesting in France. Um, Benny Traore's got quite a quite a high reputation. Uh, it's only coming from Sweden, so you know how 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 big a jump that is. Um, the, the lad they signed, the Brazilian um, from from the Belgian league, is meant to be really good as well. Vinny Souza, but I'm not not seeing a great deal of him. 
there's a lot of unknowns about the Sheffield United team at the moment. Um, and I think it is a team that was sort of short of quality anyway. Um, and they've lost a lot of experience, obviously, the two that I spoke about, that also Ender Stevens left over the summer, Billy Sharp's gone, uh, Jack O'Connell. These are players that, that sort of played for them last time they were in the Premier League and they, they've all gone. So it's, it's going to be a huge season for them. Um, I think it is too soon to write anybody off. Um, they were good in the Championship last year. They've still got some some really good players. I really like uh, Ahmed Odzic, the centre-back. I think he's really good. He's a player that I think is going to be a Premier League player for, or, or at least a top-flight player for, for the long long haul. I think he's going to really impress this year and, and get a move if, if they do go down. Um, and up front, they do have some, some young, talented strikers. Obviously, that, um, Rian Brewster seems to be one that, that it's just never quite gone for yet, but maybe he, he'll have a part to play. Ollie McBurney's sort of got a bit of experience as well. He's, he's okay. Uh, Daniel Jellison's a little bit younger, but he, he could really push on this year. And obviously, Traore and, and Asula, who they've, uh, who they started at the weekend, another two. So it's, it's, I think it's going to be tough for them. Um, moving on to this fixture, I, I was kind of impressed with both these teams at the weekend to an extent. I thought Forrest were, were a little better Arsenal than I expected. Um, they could have even got something from the game on another day. Um, but there's a little bit of uh, uncertainty there. I think Steve Cooper wants to get more players in. He's not quite got the players in yet. Um, and, and there's rumours that, that Johnson could go. Uh, he's, linked, he's been linked to Brentford, Tottenham, and he's been linked to I think West Ham today. So that's it. That's one to follow. Um, and I think they, were, they they weren't great last year, but the home form carried them over. So this being a home game is just a big one. I think the night atmosphere as well will benefit them. Um, but Sheffield United thought they were okay last week. Um, they, they could have got something from the game on another day. Um, and yeah, they, they're kind of going into the season with nothing to lose. Everybody thinks they're going to go down. So that kind of makes them a dangerous opponent for anybody. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think I'm just about going to tip for us just because I, I, I trust Steve Cooper and, uh, I, I'm, I'm expecting them to, to stay up again this year. Um, and that home, that, that their home form has just been so good and so reliable. Um, and I expect that to continue. So yeah, I think I'm going to tip them to win. Um, I think I'm going to go 2-1 to Forest, but I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, and I think Sheffield United, I think they are going to surprise a few to, uh, people this season. I think there's a, there's a few unknowns in that squad and it could go either way, either they're going to all you sort of find it hard to adapt and sort of go down quite easily, or they could step up, uh, and really surprise people. Um, and yeah, I, 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 although I'm tipping them to lose, I'm a little bit more, optimistic on them than other people and um, I just look at some of the teams at the bottom of the league and I do think there's, there's a lot of teams with problems so um, yeah if they if they do kind of settle at this level they might go okay but yeah I, th- I think I'm going to tip Forest this weekend yeah I think the the worry for me still with Sheffield United is goals and whether or not they're going to get enough of them um, in the Premier League this season I, as you said they looked decent uh, against Crystal Palace but Obviously, Palace could have, I think, run away with the game at times and, and didn't quite do it. So whether or not they can hang in games long enough to to get some goals will be interesting to see. But with Nottingham Forest, I I think they, they could do well to sort of set up a game plan where, I mean, they're obviously keen to play on the counter-attack with, with the pace that they have up front. But if you, if they can sort of keep games competitive until it's time to make substitutions. Then you've got the likes of Alanga and um, are you coming in 
off the bench, I think that could be quite something. Um, they both have pace. They're both confident with the ball. Running at defenses that are, especially against the bigger teams that will be trying to go and win games. Like we saw with Arsenal. Arsenal are trying to go and seal the game off and they get caught on the counter-attack. That could be something that could bode quite well for them if if they're able to keep all of their players fit. Um, obviously, Oni was injured last season and that played a big factor, although I don't think you know they were given enough credit for getting through a lot of that season without him after he was sort of their talisman signing, I thought. So hopefully he stays fit and is able to fire them through the season. Um, I've gone 2-0 to Nottingham Forest. Again, it's the goals that I'm worried about with Sheffield United, which I just don't see them scoring in this one. And it, it could end up being a long season if they're not able to to figure that out. But let's move on to Fulham versus Brentford. Um, we saw Mitrovic come on. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure. Um, I'm sure many fantasy players weren't sure whether or not to put him into their squads, but he did come on, Jake. Is that a promising sign for Fulham? And then what were your thoughts on Brentford without Ivan Tony? Yeah, so um, I think I am a little bit surprised that Mitrovic is still there. Um, I, I still kind of think he could go. There's been more rumours in the last couple of days. does seem to be one that's rumbling on. Um, I think he wants to go as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I'm going to come into my first big... My, First big start of the season. This one I'm a lot more confident than Sheffield United, so I'm going to go big on it. I think Fulham are going to get involved in the relegation battle. I think they're oh. a very, I think they're quite a poor team. Um, and I think we saw it for a long stretch of the last season. They sort of got their points early doors, and they were running very, very hot on 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 their underlying numbers. They 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 should have finished a lot lower in the league if you you know if if they'd have come to be true which obviously they never do come to be true but they often you often see reversion to the to the underlying numbers and I think we're going to see that from Fulham again at the weekend and they played a, a, quite a poor Everton team they got the win but they were dominated by Everton Everton had all the good chances Fulham were very lucky to come out of that with three points um, and I think it kind of papers over the cracks a little bit for them um, Mitrovic you know going if he does go I think it's a blow but the big one for them is Paulinha, he's the one. He's obviously injured during preseason. I think with Paulinha, I think Fulham would probably stay up, come maybe not comfortable. I still think they're. A, I don't think they're going to finish at the top half because I think they're a bottom half team. And I think with Paulinha, they're sort of 13, 14, 15, that sort of area. But without him, they do look like a relegation team. They look so poor. You know, if you get, if you concede that many chances to Everton, who are a very blunt attacking force at the best of times. What are you going to do when you come up against better teams? And I think even this one, with the, even though they've got the, the home advantage against Fulham, um, uh, against Brentford, sorry, I think that Brentford is just a much better team. We thought they played well against, um, they played well against Spurs, kind, probably the better team on the day. Um, and maybe perhaps a little bit unlucky not to come away with three points there. I think they're going to go to Fulham. And I just think that Brentford are a much better team. Um, and I think they're going to win it. Um, and yeah, I, I can see Fulham, but nobody's really talking about them for relegation at the moment. And I'm not saying I think they're going to go down, but I think they're going to be down there involved in that battle. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to, I think it's going to emerge over the course of the season. I think Mark, it just seems, it seems weird at Fulham. Like Marco Silva seemed to be tempted to, to move to Saudi Arabia. They, they seem to be coming in for Willian as well, just after he rejoins Fulham. They're going for Mitrovic and all these 
all these people do seem to be tempted to leave. It does, seems like something's not quite right at Fulham. Um, and yeah, they've kind of, they've kind of, uh, got themselves into a corner with Marcus where he, he rejected such a big money move away that they're going to have to show loyalty. Um, I do think Marcus Silva is quite a good coach, but I just think that the players in that team are just, they are lacking quality and rely heavily on two players. One of them may leave and one of them's injured. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's a worry for them. And I think they're going to get dragged into it this year. They've got, they've got Brentford this week and then they go to Arsenal. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we may see Fulham take a couple of, couple of quite bad defeats in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go 3-1 to Brentford. I think it's going to be quite a comfortable day for them. That's the exact score I have as well. 3-1 to, Brentford, and I think it, it it will obviously be compounded if Mitrovic does leave because I I don't know if they have enough time to find a replacement, and obviously an, a replacement that does what Mitrovic did um in that first season for them, especially early on, it's going to be a tough ask. Um, I, they finished tenth last season, so you'd imagine that they're hoping that you know they. They get to solidify their position in the Premier League again this season. But we've seen it happen with the likes of Sheffield United, who we've talked about, uh, you know, first fixture that we spoke about, where teams do well in the first season and then it just doesn't work out in the second. And as you say, with all these rumors that that have been circulating throughout the summer window of, you know, Mitrovic leaving, his silver staying, um, the likes of William, et cetera, with their eyes turned to go elsewhere, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of harmony, what kind of, you know, um, squad cohesion they're going to have heading into the season and, and whether or not they can sort of stay up, which I think would end up being quite disappointing for many of their fans considering what they did last season. But let's continue with the disappointments because we move on to Liverpool versus Bournemouth. Now, Jake, obviously, Last week was quite frantic and it, it, it sort of ended in this week as well when it came to Liverpool with the transfer situation. They had the Caicedo derby over the weekend. What is going on at Liverpool at the moment? I know we were speaking, you know, sort of b- before we we hit the record button here, but what is going on at Liverpool? What what expectations then do you have for them this season as things stand if 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 they don't improve their squad? And then what were your thoughts on Bournemouth's first outing? I mean, for me personally, I I was quite excited when obviously Bournemouth are one of those teams that probably would have been happy to stay in the Premier League and not looking for anything much more than that. But then they go and get um Andoni in who is sort of maybe one of the hipster type managers to bring in, especially for a club that's fighting relegation, you'd imagine, um, in terms of status, if you look on paper and you look at the teams in the Premier League. But he's done it before in previous leagues, more so La Liga, where he takes teams that aren't expected to do much and he causes trouble for a lot of these other teams. Um, and he ends up doing relatively well, respective of the status of those clubs. Can he do that at Bournemouth as well? For me, in terms of the fixture itself, for Liverpool, they simply have to win this game just because it's going to, it, 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 it's not going to be healthy going into the last week of the transfer window, coming off of a defeat. 
um, having come off of a draw with Chelsea after having been defeated twice in the transfer market by Chelsea, it just seems all things negative at the moment at Liverpool, um, which makes me think they, they have to simply win this game. They don't have a choice. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, I thought Liverpool were good for sort of the first half an hour of the weekend. Um, thought Sabozlai started quite well. He's got a bit of dynamism that Liverpool didn't previously have in the midfield area. He thought, I think there's one point where he, he picked up the ball, sort of carried it past two or three players, and it was quite, quite impressive. And a, a, a different weapon in that midfield. I think McAllister's a good player, but it did seem like the, the midfield was lacking a little bit of fluidity. Uh, I do, don't think that Gakpo sort of playing in a, in a deeper role works that well. Um, I think maybe it was a message to to the owners from Klopp saying that he needs more, which which I think is obvious. Um, they they needed to sign two or three midfielders, even if they'd have kept everybody. But Fabinho and Henderson go, and obviously whatever you think of those players, they're still still players that they need to replace, and they they haven't done it yet. Um, and yeah, Chelsea were probably the better team after that first half an hour, so a little bit of a worry for them. I I just think. From the outside looking in at Liverpool, I do think it's getting a little bit tired under Klopp. And I I just think that, I really think that this could be his last season in charge. I just think that in modern football, especially coaches have a shelf life. And I think, I just, it just doesn't seem quite right. Um, they had that good run towards the end of last season, but even that good winning run, like it never looked that convincing. Um, and you know, to, to win that many games. Uh, and get that close to getting into the top four after, after the position they're in. It's obviously great. Like, it's hard to win games at the best of times. But if you go back and actually watch the games, it was never like fluid Liverpool at their best. It, they were very tight games. I remember Brentford going to Anfield and, and were very unlucky not to get something. Um, Villa, I think, went there and got something. There was, a, there was a couple of away games as well, but they just didn't look that convincing. Um, so yeah, I've just, I, I, I think finishing in top four would be a good season. I think that's got to be the aim. I don't think they've got the first 11 to challenge for the, for the, for the title. I think that in attack, they've got a lot of quality. The defense, I think is still good. Um, even if you've got a few doubts about some of the players maybe regressing from their very top levels. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that. Midfield, it still seems it's it's not well well balanced and missed out on Casado, who would have been great. Lavia seems to go to Chelsea. You know, you're now getting down the list, and with teams seeing how much money Liverpool obviously have available to spend, it's not going to be easy getting any of these players. Once you get to des- sort of the desperate position Liverpool in, they're going to have to spend an extra ten, fifteen million to get anybody, and it's whether they, they're willing to do that. So yeah, I think this weekend's a big one for them. I think with Bournemouth, I really like the recruitment they've done. I think Alex Scott is a really good signing. I'm excited to see him. Um, I think they made a lot of good signings in January too. The two fullbacks they've got are quite exciting. Um, I think the only thing with them is they played such a high line at the weekend. And I think against the very top teams, I think it's going to get exposed. And I think Liverpool are a team you don't really want to play a high line against. They've got Trent delivering from deep. They've also got McAllister and Alison Bosley. And you've got the likes of Salah. Um, Diaz, who just love making those runs in behind. So I think it's, I think they might get a little bit of a lesson this weekend, but I think it's important for Bournemouth to keep playing that way, even against the top teams, because then when you play against the teams you should be, it's going to be very effective. And I think that's something that Bournemouth did under Eddie Howe, and I think it's probably something they're going to do under Iriola too. I think they're just going to keep playing that way. They might take a few beats along the way, but 
in the games that they should win or, or have a chance of winning, they'll get enough points to stay up. And I think that's going to be their aim for the season. I think Liverpool are going to win. I could see it being quite a convincing one, but a convincing win that doesn't really tell us a lot about Liverpool's long-term future. Just one that it's just a matchup that suits. I think I'm going to go 4-1. Um, I'll tip Bournemouth to get a goal, but I think Liverpool are going to be quite convincing winners. But then I think next weekend, when Liverpool go to to, to face my team at St James's Park, I think we're going to get quite a different result. Um, and maybe we'll get those questions asked again. Can, can we postpone that game? Is your stadium ready yet? <laughs> yeah, our stadium's more than ready. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Um, yeah, I, I think the issue for Liverpool is, and, and my worry personally with Liverpool will be, because people know how much money they have, you end up going and signing mediocre players for ridiculous money that are not going to impact your your ability to challenge for trophies. And then you're going to be kind of stuck with those players because they know one, because the fee is so high, you're not going to be able to sell them. Um, well, at least to recoup whatever you, 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 you buy them for chances. And then also those players are going to ask for a lot of money to come because they know you're desperate. So it's going to be a fat contract having paid a lot of money. If it is that type of player, that's not really going to move the needle when it comes to going for trophies. I think Liverpool should just leave it. Just, just put your hands up and admit you screwed up this this summer and fix whatever's going on behind the scenes. Go apologize to Michael Edwards. Go apologize to Dr. Ian Graham. Get the band back together because Liverpool were the envy of a lot of teams when it was compartmentalized to an extent. Klopp focused on coaching and he left, you know, the recruitment to the recruitment specialists. They made, you know, he would come tell them what he needs. They made a list. He wouldn't necessarily tell you, I want Bellingham, but he would give the characteristics of what he needs. They come with the list, whether Bellingham's on there or not. Then Klopp looks at that list and sort of runs through the list and decides who to pick. Now, Klopp and Pep Linders are basically the recruitment staff now. So they, they're having to coach the team. They're having to sort out recruitment. Klopp brings in his, his mate to be director of football on a short term basis. It just seems absolutely impossible to, to work out. He's not, he's not good at recruiting. I'm sorry. He just isn't. It doesn't diminish what he does as a manager. I just don't think Klopp is good at recruiting and he should just focus on coaching the team. Um, we've seen it at Dortmund where Klopp was v- very reluctant to get rid of players that had gotten stale. We've seen it at Liverpool where Klopp's been very reluctant to get rid of players that are, are stale. Unless you remove players from Klopp, he won't let them go. So there needs to be someone, you know, above him that says, okay, this player has to go. It's time to go. We'll bring in flesh, fresh blood or whatever the case may be. But this all kind of epitomized the whole issue with, with the Henderson situation two years ago where the, the, you know, Michael Edwards didn't want to give him a new contract because he was getting old. He had just come off of a major injury. Klopp gets involved. He vetoes the decision of the recruitment staff and gives Henderson a new contract. Maybe that's the only thing. Maybe there were other things that factored into it, but eventually Michael Edwards leaves. He doesn't feel he doesn't have the power that he used to have. And it's just gone downhill from a recruitment standpoint since then. Obviously, on the field, they've gone in and done some things, but it was meant to be about building a dynasty and they've just destroyed that. Um, 
And then now you look at the season going ahead. I think they've, you know, they're wasting another season of Salah, wasting another season of Van Dyke. You've mentioned sort of regress, regression happening in the defense. Van Dyke is one of those players who you don't have too many years left of Van Dyke being one of the elite players. Certainly, if you, if you look at how it's going at the moment, maybe he can get back up there, um, to, to what we, we knew and loved about him. But as, you know, as it looks, objectively speaking, there's not too many years left of him being Virgil van Dijk. Um, so that's another season of him gone. Another season of Thiago, you know, going, it, it just seems like such a waste. Um, and, and hopefully they fix that. But yeah, for Bournemouth, I'm excited. I like the football that's going to be played by them. I think they've made some clever signings. You mentioned Alex Scott. I've, I've been banging on you know on the drum for him all all summer i think it's a fantastic signing i was saying whoever got him was going to get a fantastic player i'm excited to see him get fit and get and and, and get on the pitch for them i think they could cause some problems solanke continued the the goal scoring form he he sort of had last season which i think bodes well for them they've got some exciting wingers in their team um if if the the heart of that midfield can get you know, sort of sorted and solidified and, and gelled together. I think they could really do some, some interesting stuff this season. But yeah, as for that fixture, it's a must win for Liverpool. Um, but man, if I'm Solanke, I'm, I'm licking my lips thinking I could get a couple of goals here because that Liverpool defensive shape looks absolutely horrendous at the moment. But let's move on to Wolves versus Brighton. Uh, Surprise performance from Wolves last night against Man United. Obviously, um, you know, they should have, could have had a penalty. Um, apologies have been made already about the, you know, the decision for, for not giving them the penalty. Jake, I always hate that personally because the apology doesn't give me the, the points that I've, I've lost out on. I, I couldn't care less about an apology from the referee saying we got it wrong. I want my points and, and I didn't get them and, and, it's very, very frustrating if you're a Wolves um, fan, if you're, if you're involved with Wolves, a player, coach, staff, everyone involved. Wolves were one of the teams I thought were going to be in trouble this season. I may have to pull the handbrake on that because I, I, I predicted that they would get relegated this season, but they looked pretty decent last night. Um, they come up against Brighton, who just seem to have carried on from last season. Caicedo, no Caicedo. McAllister, no McAllister. They just churn... All of these players, you know, they, they, I think they have the best recruitment um, staff in the Premier League at the moment. I think Newcastle are, are up there as well and, and could challenge them. But I, I don't think they're quite there with Brighton at the moment, considering what Brighton have been doing and continue to do. But yeah, Newcastle probably a close second. But this game now becomes a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be about 24, 24 hours ago. Yeah, I was really impressed with Wolves yesterday. Um, I think that they were perhaps unfairly written off. Uh, I think I think everybody would agree that Lopetegui is a better manager than Gary O'Neill. I think it's a it's a downgrade. But if you've got a manager who doesn't believe in the squad he has and is is regularly talk down about the squad he, he has uh, something that Conte's done a lot you kind of think well maybe it's better to get a manager that does believe in the squad um, we thought exactly what happened with Bournemouth last year Scott Parker was sort of 
spoke about how Bournemouth it was the Premier League squad and what do you expect? You're going to get beaten like nine nil against Liverpool. It's going to happen. But Gary O'Neill came in and believed in the squad and got them to safety. Now, if you looked sort of under the hood of those performances, maybe they got a little bit lucky. But at the same time, everybody expected Bournemouth to finish bottom of the league. So the fact that their numbers were in the bottom three isn't that surprising. But he obviously found something, belief um, in the squad that sort of managed to, to turn enough moments his way to get the points to stay up. Um, and I can see why Bournemouth made the change. I'm not really saying that was a bad decision. But I do think there's, there's some sort of merit in, in O'Neill. I don't think he's a, a, a terrible manager. I think he's, I think you can see he's sort of got more about him than, than maybe Lampard or Gerard did at, at this level. He seems to sort of, is, is bought into himself being this sort of relegation fighter. And fine, if you're going to, you can start there and work your way up. And he, he's still very early. And, and a coach at that age is going to learn along the way. Um, so yeah, you watch the misstep, but they're really good. And you, so everybody was speaking about Wolves. Yeah, they're definitely going to go down. They're going to go down. But you actually looked at the team they played yesterday. They've got a lot of good players in there. I quite like Gomez in the field. I think he's somebody that, that we might be talking about for, for it, for going for big money next summer. Uh, I think Cunha has got talent. I don't think he's a striker. So I think they need to find a way to play him behind the striker or with the, with somebody else. But I think he's a very good player. Um, Kilman's a, a very good centre back. Um, Jose Sarr is a solid Premier League keeper. They've got some good players throughout the throughout the pitch. I think Lamina's quite underrated for what he offers. Um, and yeah, Neto is obviously a player that's obviously had a lot a lot of hype. It's never quite really kicked on. Been suffered a few injuries, but maybe this will be his year to kick on. So I think they've got quite quite a good. They've definitely got a, a a good group of sort of thirteen, fourteen players. Um, they should keep them fit. Maybe add a couple, um, and sort of, you know, get, get them believing. I think they, they've got enough to stay up. Uh, especially if you look at sort of, if you look at Sheffield United and Luton, obviously short of a lot of quality. So that's, that's two spots people expect to be taken. Now that might not happen, but you, you'd look at those two teams, you'd say Wolves better than them. So they've just got to be better than one more team. Um, and I think they've got the right manager to do it. He does, he does really seem to believe in, believe in himself. And the way he speaks, I think his wolves are going to quick, the sport is going to quickly take to him. Like the way he needs to be really proud to be managing there. And yeah, the performance yesterday is going to, going to give them something. Yeah, it's one thing to play like that away at Old Trafford when you don't have much expectations, but you got to do it in the games that you, you do hope to win. And although Brighton did do well against Luton, um, it's a home game for them. We don't know what they're going to be like away from home yet. They've obviously lost two really important players in midfield. Um, I think midfield is an area where Wolves are, are, are quite strong, even after losing Nevers um, and Moutinho. So yeah, I think it's going to be a, a good game. Um, I think I think I'm going to tip Wolves to get something. I'm going to go one-one. Um, I think that Brighton. Uh, I I don't think they're going to be in the top six again. I think they're um, kind of going to be a little bit below that this year. Um, but I think they're going to be very good at home and maybe struggle away from home. Um, especially when the Europa League kicks off. So yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to tip Wolves to get something. I, I saw enough yesterday to sort of buy some, some Wolf stocks for the season. So I'm going to, going to go 1-1. Interesting stuff. Yeah. I've, I've gone 2-1 to, to Brighton. I've, I've given them the edge there slightly. I, I think going forward, they look really exciting. They've got guys that can bring off the bench. Um, if, if they're not able to get goals in games. Yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm getting very worried about some of the reckless predictions I made, um, last week. And, and we call them reckless predictions for a reason. It's early in the season. The transfer window hasn't closed. We, we make a, a, a bunch of them. We try and make them as spicy as possible. You don't want to go with, with easy stuff. But yeah, Wolves look like they, they could potentially stay up. Um, obviously making me lose that one out, but let's move on to Spurs versus Man United. And speaking of some of my predictions, I predicted that Harry Kane was going to beat Haaland for the golden boot this year. Now, obviously Kane decided to leave. Um, he, he heard the podcast as soon as he heard it, he thought he'd make me look a mug and he decided to leave, you know, two days after the podcast, he could have done it beforehand, but he chose not to, he chose to wait. Um, Spurs looked okay without him. I I think Ange Ball with or without Kane was going to create chances. The difference is when those chances fall to Harry, Harry Kane, they're probably ending up in the back of the net. When they fall to say a Richarlison, not necessarily always going to go into the back of the net. So I think that's the issue for Spurs. They're still going to create chances. They're still going to be quite fun to watch this season. Um, a lot of end-to-end football is going to take place in their games. They're going to be susceptible to transa- tra- transitional goals, I think, especially early on when everyone's learning the system. And you don't want to be playing Man United when you've got issues in transition because the likes of Rashford and Anthony Fernandez running at you on the counter-attack is quite a daunting thing to stop. For that reason, I'm going to predict Spurs losing their first home game with Ange. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 to Man United. I think they're going to pick them off on the counter-attack on two occasions. I was going to go with the higher score and I'm, 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 I, I, I tossed and turned between 3-2 and 2-1. Um, and as I'm talking, I'm kind of talking myself back up to 3-2 just because I don't see Spurs doing well defensively in this game. And equally, I think Man United, there were some questions asked about them last night and they didn't look 100% um, for me. I think Spurs could hurt them. I think Spurs could get some goal. I'm going to move it up to 3-2, Jake. 3-2 to Man United, that is. Yeah, um, I could see it. Um, I was quite... Imp- <sighs> thing was, I was more impressed with Tottenham at the weekend than I was with Manchester United. I thought Manchester United were really poor against Wolves. And I think... They're going to have some big issues in midfield when they come up against teams that have a good midfield. We saw Wolves yesterday sort of, sort of dominate that area of the pitch and Casemiro was kind of isolated. He was, he was kind of a one man, one man operation and he didn't quite look completely fit. Um, and that's why Manchester United struggled. I think playing Mount and Fernandez or even Ericsson instead of one of them, it just doesn't quite build balance. Um, so yeah, I think they're going to have some problems there. But I think Spurs are the type of team that are perfectly set up for Manchester United to do very well against. Um, I think there's going to be space for, for Mountain Fernandez to play forward passes. You're going to get Rashford running in behind. Um, Garnacho, if he plays, running in behind. I just think it's the type of team that Manchester United will just do well against. Um, and there will be goals. I see, I don't imagine United are that convincing defensively at the moment. They don't, you know, they took Martinez off at half time yesterday. Um, it's, it doesn't, and I, I think Varane's not quite the player he was. So I think there'll be goals at both ends, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on the 3 2. But I, I, I really, I think Manchester United are a little bit overrated generally at the moment. I think they, they're the team I would be 
most worried about having a very poor season out of the traditional top six. I think they could, you know, Tottenham, you've already got low expectations. Nobody really expects them to do that well. So kind of free hit, whatever happens. I think Chelsea look better under Poch. Um, I think Liverpool, although they, they've got some issues, I think their floor is relatively high. Um, Arsenal and City, I think will kick on. And I think Manchester United are the ones that are just, just not totally convinced by the signs. I don't think Mount really adds to what they need. They needed a different profile of player in there. If they'd have signed Casado, for example, that would have been much better, um, or a player like that. Um, I know they're talking about Amrabat, but we'll see if that happens or not. I, Amrabat feels like a, an interchangeable player with, um, Casemiro rather than somebody to partner him. Um, I think Hoyland, I really like him as a player. He's really exciting, but he's very inexperienced. And I think it's going to take him a couple of years to really get up to that top level. Um, and Onana, he's, he's a good keeper, but I don't think he's great. Um, so yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Manchester United really finish, um, finish outside the top four this year. I think they might struggle. Um, and I think the, the performance against Wolves, although I think that was quite low for them, I think we might see a few more like that, but I think they'll get a win this weekend. Um, just because I think Tottenham are just the perfect team for them um, as a matchup, but yeah, I, I do worry for Manchester United. I think, but I think three two is a good prediction. Awesome stuff. Now this season, is it? Am I correct in saying you just need top five to get into the Champions League? Has that kicked in this season? Uh, I think yeah, it's this season, but I think it it does rely on what the the Premier coefficients and stuff. Yeah. I think it's I think it's the team, the countries that do the best in Europe this, this season. So I think it changes. So last year, if it would come into effect last year, we would have got, and I think fifth would have got a Champions League spot, but it, it's most probable that, that, that it will have one. Yeah. Cause England are normally do quite well. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of squads like Man United and Liverpool where top five is probably more achievable than like top four at this point in time. And the reason I say that is I think Man City definitely going to be in top four obviously, um, the favourites for the title. I think Arsenal are going to be in top four again. Even though I don't necessarily agree with everything they've done this summer and we'll get to Arsenal, I just think a lot of it has to do with the squad now fully believes in the Arteta project. Um, so I'm putting them in there in top four. I think Newcastle are in there as well and we're going to get to Newcastle soon because, Jake, we mentioned Wolves were... One of the teams that people thought were going to get relegated, they've surprised people. Well, Newcastle, obviously, people didn't think were going to get relegated, but certainly thought Newcastle were going to fall away this season. They obviously did fantastic to make top four last season. Many people were predicting a, you know, a, a city type of summer window where they just go and splash the cash on all of the, you know, I guess maybe high profile names in football but yes they've spent money but I think they've spent it on players that actually fit what the squad is trying to do I I don't know if there are many other teams in the Premier League that are as well balanced as Newcastle they buy the players that fit what they're trying to do a Harvey Barnes for example might not be the flashiest player but he just walked into that Newcastle team and he looked like he had been playing there for years Sandra Tonali, obviously the, the big question mark, uh, coming in. Question mark in terms of will he fit into the Premier League, the style of play, etc. Obviously, perfect start for him scoring early, but I just want to sit back and 
give you the floor here to discuss Newcastle. Um, obviously they will be playing Man City, uh, in the fixture on, you know, the late night fixture on Saturday. It's actually an eight o'clock kickoff. It's going to be on TNT Sports in the UK, but obviously with us at Liberty Shield, um, this podcast is presented by EPRindex.com in association with Liberty Shield. It's a VPN provider. Um, so you'll be able to watch that game irrespective of where it's being shown. Uh, you can check out their services at libertyshield.com. You guys can save with the coupon code EPL25. That will give you 25% off of your router or your software VPN. It's a virtual private network, which is a technology that encrypts your internet traffic to protect your online identity, to hide your IP address and shield your online data from third parties. You guys can change your location. You can avoid geoblocks. You can... Also avoid government imposed restrictions to access any website. Also guys, go check out EPL index shop. You can find it on Etsy. If you use the coupon code EPL 10, you get 10% off at checkout. Now, Jake, talk to me about Newcastle. Talk to me about this fixture against Man City. Obviously this was one of the tasty fixtures last season. Um, and then talk to me about Sandra Tonali because you, you got quite a bit of heat on Twitter during the summer with your comments on, on old Sandra. Yeah, I think that was one of my bad, bad takes. <laughs> I don't think I was even, I don't think I was even that anti Tadali. I just did, I was expecting us to add a, a, a deep, deeper midfielder to let Bruno go more advanced. And I, I don't think Tonali's that profile of player, but obviously that is not the plan. And they, they were, were planning to, to buy a, a number eight in which that he, he fits much better as. So yeah, obviously he's a, he had a very good debut. He, he looked very shaky in pre-season. Um, and, and in the Premier League series games that we played against, I think we played, we played Villa, Chelsea and, um, Brighton. And he did look a little bit off the pace in those matches, but obviously it takes time to adapt. And it was obviously the plan from Eddie Howell along to get him ready to, to start the season. Uh, and yeah, he delivered there. He was, he was excellent. He, um, he was sort of running the game in midfield. He was, he, he got the opening goal, came close to getting a second one. He was making the late runs into, into the box. He was rotating with Bruno. It's quite fluid. Um, he made a couple of pre-assists as well. He just looked very, very good. Um, and yeah, as you said, it shows that the, the club have targeted a profile of player that, that they think will fit in with the team, uh, rather than a big name. He's definitely quite a big name, but I don't think, I don't think he's a player that, you know, the Man City's or Chelsea's would have been looking at. Um, so yeah, he, he's been, he looks like he's going to be a really good addition uh, and adds depth. To our midfield options, we've obviously got Bruno and Joe Linton played there. Sean Longstaff was very good last season. We've got Joe Willock to come back from injury, who I, I think is a very unique player in himself. And I think he's going to have quite a good season. So yeah, we've got lots of options in there, which is good with the amount of games we're going to have. Um, I do think we've, we were very sort of underestimated in a lot of the season preview content. Um, and I kind of get why you thought if you look down the Newcastle squad, it's not a squad that jumps out at you. If you compare it with the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, it doesn't look as good on paper. But, you know, football's not played on paper. And when you watch Newcastle at the weekend, and then you watch, you know, you watch Liverpool and Chelsea, and you watch Manchester United, and you watch Tottenham. And even if you watch the Arsenal game, you just think Newcastle looked a much more balanced and better football team. Um, and, I, you know, we've, we've been performing to this level for 18 months now, all the last season, and then the second half of the season where we went from bottom of the table to, to 11th, we've been playing that football for 18 months. So why is that going to change? Um, obviously, if we get 
injuries to key players that could have an impact. You can't predict that. It was sort of like the Liverpool season where Van Dijk got injured and then Matt had got injured. You know, if you get too many, any, any club would struggle if they got three or four injuries in one position that could potentially derail us. The Champions League is an unknown. Um, that could derail us, but you know, could have the opposite effect. You could have players, could have a little bit of rotation players playing to a high level to, to try and get into the Champions League team. Um, so yeah, I, I think from, uh, for a lot of last season, Newcastle was sort of performing to a level that was up there with closer to Arsenal and Manchester City than it was to the teams below them. Um, and I think the fact that Manchester United finished above us last season was a little bit of a false narrative. I think if you, if you go back and watch all 38 games of both teams, you'd probably come out and say that you think Newcastle were the best football team. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit surprising. I think, I think we're really well set up for this year. Harvey Barnes, obviously he's come, he's come in. He looks like he's perfect fit what we want to do. He's going to add goals and assists to that side of the pitch. I think Anthony Gordon looks excellent as well. He's had a really good summer of England, got the player of the tournament at the under 21 Euros. He's been really good in pre-season and he was excellent on, on Saturday. Got the assist for the first goal. Could have got another assist as well. Um, and yeah, he looks like, he looks like he's going to take a big step forward. And I think that come the end of the season, I don't think he's going to be quite the joke figure he is now. I think he's, he's got a lot of talent and I think Newcastle has seen it. Um, and they, they think they've got the right coach to get it out of him. And yeah, it's a really good start for him. Um, and yeah, I think there's just a, just a good, I think we're, we're, our team's definitely greater than some of its parts, but yeah, I can't see that changing. So I'm, I'm very confident for the season. I think if we avoid major injuries, I think we're going to, I think we've got a very good chance of at least, we're def, I, I can't see us finishing outside the top six. Um, and I'd probably say at the moment, we're probably one of the best four teams in the league. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident. I think the Champions League will be fun to be in. We'll be obviously in the, in the bottom pot. So we're going to get a tough group, but I don't think any team in that competition is going to want to draw Newcastle. So I think that's, that's good for us. And I could really see us. You know, if we got into the knockout rounds, I think we could be quite dangerous the way we press and just the amount of goals we have on our team makes us so dangerous. I think I read it since the start of last season, no team has scored, I think it was no, no other team has scored four or more goals more times than Newcastle. So, you know, that's quite, that's quite the stat. I think against us, if you do go one or two goals down, it can become a route very quickly. Um, and I think it's similar to, to Klopp to Liverpool at, at, at its very infancy. I think there was very similar. You see a lot of, lot of similarities with the way we press and just the energy and the, and the profiles of players. We've got, we're a very tall athletic team. Um, that's got a lot of pace as well. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think we've had a really good start to the season. Obviously it's not ideal to play City and Liverpool next, but I look at both those games and I think last year we played City early that time for James Park, but we went 3-1 up and finished 3-3 three, three. Um, and we were unlucky not to, to win that game. I think last year the, the game is Liverpool. Liverpool got two really good goals at St. James Park earlier than Nick Pope got sent off. But for most of that game, we were giving as good as we got, even with 10 men. So that's, that's going to be... I think we'll probably look at that game and want to get revenge for that. Um, but yeah, the, the City game in particular, City play tomorrow as we record. So we've got a, a Super Cup game. They've obviously flights involved. They've got a game to play. They don't have the biggest squad. They've got a few injuries already. It's not ideal for them. And I think they, they looked a little bit undercooked against Burnley. 
So if you go up against the new golf team, that's going to be so intense and press high. I think it's the perfect time for us to play City. Um, and yeah, I just think I just, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident for the game. I think that it's, it's going to be all about the press. If we press high and, and, and sort of win the ball back, we've got a really good chance. But if, you know, they, also they could play through the press, obviously the best team at doing that. And it could be the other way, but I think it's going to be a really interesting game to watch tactically the way City sort of bring Edison out pretty much halfway in their own half to, to sort of become another centre back. I think that's going to be interesting how we press against him. Um, but yeah, with City, you can always catch them early. Um, we did it last year. I think we've got a chance of doing it again. We've never had a better chance of winning at the Etihad. Even the game last year was after the Carabao Cup final. They won 2-0. It's quite comfortable, but we had our chances in that game. And on another day, we could have got something from that. City didn't create too much. They just took the chances they did get. So could definitely see us getting something from the game. Um I don't think Guardiola will be looking forward to playing against us. I think it's going to be a tough game for them. Um, they've obviously got the quality, but I think we've got quality too. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go bold and I'm going to predict us to beat Man City in, in my prediction for that game. I think I'm going to go 2-1. Go on then. And I, and I think it's going to be quite the statement. I think it's just, a, I think if you, if you look for a cocktail of how to get a result against Man City, I think it's all thrown in there. Get them early in the season. They've got a few injuries. Kate De Bruyne out. They've got a game in midweek in a, in a, in a different country that they have to fly to. They've got, you know, it's, it's then the Wednesday, Saturday turnaround. Yeah. I think it's all, and they're coming up against a team that are just full of energy and have just won five one and that are going to press them. And City historically have struggled most against teams that press them. You know, you look back at the Liverpool, Liverpool City rivalry for the period. Liverpool won a lot of those games. And I think with Arsenal, we saw that Arsenal was sort of like a carbon copy of City to an extent. And City did struggle against that. But I think against a team that's more similar to Liverpool at their peak, I think that's where they might struggle. So yeah, I think we'll go 2-1. Interesting stuff. What a game that would be. I've gone 2-2. I, I, I just can't see Haaland not going to just because it's Haaland and nothing else. Um, because I've, I've been burned trying to, trying to predict him not doing well in, in, in big games. I do fancy Newcastle to cause City many, many problems in this game. And as we keep touching on balance, 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 your side is so well balanced. Um, and, and it's a joy to watch a team like that actually back a manager like Eddie Howe, who isn't the fanciest name in, 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 in football, but they, they said, no, he's the guy to take us forward. Many people predicted by now he would have been replaced by someone else, but he's still there. He's doing the job really, really well. So that's encouraging to see, um, to see a, a manager like him getting a chance to manage a club with the resources that you guys have. But as I said, he's not using it recklessly. The club is, they're spending money so, so well. Yes, if they need to pay big money for someone, they go and do it, but it's not reckless. It's not flashy. It's just getting the job done and hopefully for Newcastle's sake, they cause an upset in this one. And I think if they do win the game, as you say, Jake, you definitely have to surely start throwing their name in there. Maybe it's early, but start throwing their name in there. Jake's already made the omen of trophies. Maybe one of those trophies ends up being a Premier League title with, you know, some of the question marks maybe some people have over City this season. But let's move on to Aston Villa versus Everton, the team that felt the wrath of Newcastle last week 
it was meant to be arguably the game of the week and probably was the game of the week for, for you, Jake, but Aston Villa got torn apart. I mean, early on goals from both the debutants, Diaby and Sandro, and then you guys sort of just kicked into a gear that Aston Villa weren't able to keep up with. Um, they come up against an Everton side who at Goodison Park created a lot of chances, but struggled to finish. I personally feel no sympathy for Everton, not because of my Liverpool allegiances, but because they knew going into the summer that they needed goals. They come into the first game of the season, not having addressed that, you know, in, you know, hoping that Calvert Lewin is back fit when he struggled with injuries for so long in his career. And lo and behold, they create a lot of chances, but don't score goals. Similar to with Liverpool, where they create their own issues. And I have no sympathy for clubs like that. I have no sympathy for a Liverpool who knew that issues in midfield and don't go and address that to the level that they needed to in the summer. But yeah, so Everton struggling to score goals, probably the team Aston Villa need to be playing at this point in time after having been, you know, destroyed by Newcastle. You want to play a team that's not so confident um in front of goal. So maybe you have a chance to go and, you know, bag a few goals yourselves uh, and, and try and get back on track and, and make a season of what people were expecting, which was, you know, challenging for those top, um, six places or top seven places, hoping to get back into Europe. Yeah. Um, I was caught, I was impressed with Villa for, for the sort of the first period of the game at the weekend. I thought DRB and Watkins are correct. I remember Riga partnership. They're sort of operating more of a two. Um, that's quite exciting to watch. Um, they've obviously got a lot of talent, Villa. But I think what turned the game at the weekend, and I think what's really going to hit them for the season ahead, was when Tyrone Mings went off. Uh, I don't think he's the most popular player. I don't think he's quite rated as highly as he should be. But it, And they signed Pau Torres, so people just thought, oh, Pau Torres is going to come into the team and replace Tyrone Mings. But I don't think that was ever Emery's plan. I think it was more, I think they were sort of going to gear more towards playing Torres as a, as a left back or playing him alongside Mings and um, trying to find maybe a three at the back formation that worked because um, they're sort of in a lot of preseason game they're side, sort of lining up with a back four but with a centre back at full back and then moving more into a sort of a three at the back with, with the other full back bombing on I think that's sort of the, the, the long term plan there because Mings is just so important in terms of his leadership and organisation and the moment he went off they had big problems with their high line it was going to be a problem anyway but it became an even bigger problem. He seemed to be organising that high line, getting players to step up, getting them to stay in line. And then we saw just, it was utter chaos. And we saw Pau Torres kept, he, he sort of got a little bit too aggressive in the way he was pushing up, trying to move into midfield and win the ball back, leaving space, which, which Newcastle exploited. We saw, uh, Kamara sort of down tools after, after the third goal. And he was particularly poor. Um, and I think, I think people did get a little bit over, confident with Aston Villa they were good last season under Emery there was improvement but they were still they may have had top four form on paper but a lot of the performances weren't top four form they were just sort of they needed to you know even this summer they had to to improve the squad and the style so that their performances matched that form or their form was going to drop off um, I think they're still going to be a top half team I think they've got too much talent not to be and Emery's a good coach but I think people talking about them getting into the Champions League are sort of running before they can walk with, with that, I think. I think to, uh, and I think that it was a, 
sort of the wake up call last weekend and, and just a reminder of how far they've got to go. But I think the, the five one defeat, it, it's, it's bad. But the biggest thing for them last week was losing Tyrone Mings and Emmy Bundy had serious injuries. You know, they've got the Europa Conference League this year. That's two players that they're going to be without for long periods. Um, and two important players for them as well. They're, they're obviously going to, I'm sure they'll go into the market and get a bit more cover. But I think it's going to be really difficult to replace that leadership that Mings brings. And I think there's going to be a few issues for them in the coming weeks as they sort of, sort of get to, get to grips without Mings being in that back four. I don't, I don't know who's, Martin is going to have to step up and become more of an organiser. I think Cons is going to have to step up. He's probably the most experienced one in that back line, or they're going to have to bring Diego Carlos in and maybe have a, a sort of Spanish look to their, to their back four. Um, sort of, you know, people that can speak Spanish. You'd have, you could have Torres and Carlos and then Moreno when he's back at fullback. Uh, and if you've got Martinez, you can, you can speak Spanish. So yeah, it's, I think that's, it's, it's going to be the way they're going to have to go. Um, but I think Ming's going to be a massive miss. And I think people are not going to realize that until, until they see what happens at Villa. I think this weekend they should win. For Everton were good last weekend. I think Dice is sort of getting a style that is at least Leveling the playing field a little bit, but they just don't have goals in their team. Um, it's a it's a real issue for them. They're gonna they're gonna have to rely on the likes of Decore to break forward and get the goals. Um, I think it will improve for them when McNeil gets back and Calvert Lewin gets back. I think they're two really important players for them, but it's whether they can keep them fit. Um, but I do see Villa scoring this week. Uh, I do see Everton scoring this weekend. I think Villa are going to struggle with that high line. And I could see a player like Decore breaking from midfield, causing them a lot of problems, like Tenali did. So yeah, I think I'm going to go 2-1 to Villa. I think they'll have too much for, for Everton on the day. But I don't think it's going to be sort of that convincing performance that makes us think, yeah, Villa last week was a blip. They're going to push on and challenge in that top six or seven. I think they're, um, yeah, I think there's going to be a few long-term issues for them, especially for that means. Yeah. And it's back to back, um, summers where one of their center backs gets a long-term injury, obviously. You mentioned Diego Carlos there. He, he came in, got injured, and then now Ming's getting injured. It, it really an uphill battle for them with Bendia getting injured as well. Um, in terms of this game, I do think they get back to winning ways. Um, I've gone 2-0 to, to, to Aston Villa. Again, it's the issues with, with Everton going forward. Um, and then defensively, I, I still think they're not as solid as they could be. Um, what was your score prediction for this one? 2-1 to Villa. 2-1 to Villa. Okay. Um, let's move on to West Ham versus Chelsea. West Ham, they get the Bowen goal. Good to see Bowen getting back into, you know, the goal scoring form. Um, or at least they're hoping that it's a, a goal scoring form. But Jake, as soon as they went ahead, they sort of sat back and, and invited, uh, Bournemouth to sort of attack them and, and try and get that equalizer. One is, is, is that surprising or concerning for West Ham fans? And then, um, what do you make of them against Chelsea who look to have revamped that midfield? And if it's going to be a midfield battle, I, I kind of fancy Chelsea to, to run all over West Ham in this one. I've, I've, for that reason, I've, I've gone three one to Chelsea. I still think it's a, it's a very young defense. Uh, we don't know what's going on with Reese James. He came off. Um, in the previous game, is, is that another injury for him? They don't have a lot of defenders in terms of experienced defenders at the moment with so many injuries that they've had and, and players that have left. 
I'm still worried about that defense. Um, not the biggest fan of Sanchez in goal for them either. Um, I think he, he's a mistake waiting to happen at, at many a times. Um, so I've given West Ham that goal there, but I do think Chelsea run away with this one quite comfortably. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you there. I was impressed with Chelsea on the opening day. Um, I still think it's going to be a season of, of transition. I think if they make the top four, that'd be a really good season. Um, and without having European football, that's obviously going to be a benefit to them. Um, so yeah, I was impressed with them there. Um, I think with West Ham, they've lost Rice, which, which is their most important player. They might be losing Paqueta, which, which is another blow. They're obviously going to have a lot of money to spend. They've got James Will-Prowse in. If they think he's going to replace Declan Rice, I think they've probably got another thing. <laughs> they've got, got a surprise <laughs> waiting for them there because I don't think he's quite the same player. Um, and I think with James Will-Prowse, the, the fact that he sort of waited, he was at Southampton for that long this summer. Obviously, the top clubs have doubts about him. He, he has wonderful set-piece delivery, and I think Moyes is going to sort of gear towards set-piece this, this season. So I think for West Ham, it's a smart signing, but they need to find balance in that bit midfield because he's not going to do what Rice did. Um, so, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be uh, an, an interesting season for West Ham. Um, I would... I think you're right with your prediction. I think I'm going to go 3-1 here as well. Um, I think Jackson's going to get a goal. Um but yeah, I think it's going to be a long season for West Ham. And I think it's probably Moyes' last one. I could see him getting sacked during the season. Um, and I think they might be at the wrong end of the table again. I just think to lose two players like Picasso right in the same summer, it makes it so difficult. Um, so yeah, I think, I think 3-1. Um, and yeah, I'd expect Chelsea to get their first win on the pitch, you know. Yeah. And especially with, um, Tim Steisen in there as well, seeming to conflict with Moyes. If, if, if they don't get results on the pitch, I can see them deciding to go with one or the other, most likely with them going with Tim and, and meaning Moyes leaves and they bring in someone that maybe sees the game similar way to the way Tim does. But the last game of this weekend is Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. Eze, it's the Eze show now at Crystal Palace. One would imagine with Zaha leaving. Um, they created a few chances uh last week. Obviously, it ends up only being 1-0. A couple of goals that they scored that were offside. Um Do they have enough firepower, Jake, to, to sort of do anything more than what Crystal Palace have kind of been doing a lot recently, which is get to the 40-point mark and then sort of be happy with that um can they go above that uh this season i'm not so sure with the with the strike force that they have at the moment and then obviously arsenal you you hinted at the fact you weren't too impressed with with them on the opening day obviously it's a home game against nottingham forest they didn't necessarily run away with it they had a lot of the ball jake um but they didn't run away with the game what were your concerns with them and and how do you see them handling a game at salas park obviously one of the Certainly for me, favorite grounds to play at or to, to, to watch, uh, games at in, in the Premier League. Yeah. Arsenal on the opening day, I think what concerned me was that last year they dropped, you know, towards the end of the season when, the, when the title race was sort of in, in, in full flow, they dropped a lot of points at home to teams that they should be beating. And it just felt similar to that. It felt they hadn't really learned those lessons. Um, so yeah, I'd just be concerned about them at home in games that you expect them to win. Um, 
So yeah, that that would be my concern with them there. I'm not quite sure Kai Havertz really adds much to that team either, but uh, you know, need to see a bit more of him before coming to a, a final judgment there. But and um, Timber going off injured seemingly with a serious injury, the blow. Um, because obviously they spent uh, a lot of money on him. So yeah, um, just had a few concerns off, but I still think they're going to be up there and the, the most likely challenges to City. Um, with Palace, I think as we're recording, I've, I'm seeing reports that the, the deal has been agreed between Chelsea and Palace for Michael Elise. So they're not only losing Zaha, they're probably losing Elise now, which is a big blow. Um, so maybe we'd expect them to do a little bit of spending before the, before the window closes. And I think they'll need to if they really want to solidify in mid, mid table and avoid being dragged into the bottom of the, bottom of the league. But I think they are just a solid team. And I think under Hodgson, you know what you're going to get. Um, that they'll be fine. But yeah, for this one, they made, there'll be a little bit of a negative atmosphere after Elise go, goes because he's quite a fan favorite there. And I think Arsenal just have enough quality to win. And I think being away from the Emirates, but, might help them sort of get back to their best form. Um, so yeah, I'll go for the Arsenal win. I'll go 2-0. Uh, and it's just quite a straightforward game for them. But I do still have a few concerns about them. Um, just against, if this was at the Emirates, <laughs> I'd, I'd have a little bit, have a few more concerns. I don't know what it is with them at, at home against teams they should beat, but they just really seem to struggle. Yeah. Interesting stuff with that, um, Olesi thing. Um, yeah, I'm a bit annoyed about that because I, I love the progress he was making at Crystal Palace and I don't think he's going to get as many opportunities at Chelsea. But hey, if, if he can fight his way into that team, he's certainly joining a quite young, exciting, energetic team under Pochettino. We'll see what he does there for this game. I think Arsenal are going to start the season quite hot as they did last season and then it's going to sort of sort of mirror last season where I don't think they're going to be able to hang on and, and, you know, go that step further and win the title. Palace, I, I don't know if they have enough firepower again to cause Arsenal the problems that they need to, because I can see Arsenal at the very least scoring one goal in this game. In fact, I've, I see them scoring two goals and I've gone two nil similar to you just because I think Palace could make it competitive at Sellers Park, but just not going to have enough going forward to be able to cause Arsenal problems. And that will be two for two for Arsenal. Um, obviously having watched Man City play Newcastle the day before, you know, whichever result that, that goes, I think it's going to help Arsenal in terms of their ambitions to try and win the Premier League season. But Jake, thank you so much for do- joining us. That's going to do it for another episode of a tad predictable. Do you have anything you want to plug, put over or promote or perhaps you want to tell us how did you celebrate winning Banker or Burnett? I know Guy had an elaborate celebration planned if he had won it. Thank God he didn't. Um, I'm, I'm glad to still have a job here because he was planning on blowing the budget for this podcast. But yeah, how, how did the celebrations go? Yeah. So I'm not quite as a, a, elaborate as Guy. <laughs> it was quite, it was, it was just a, a little, a little private trophy left and then straight back to the, uh, straight back to the stats to make sure that I'm well prepared for next year <laughs> to retain. You know, there's there's no celebrations here. We just go we go again. It is that that relentless mentality that's gonna get me the get me get me the W again this year. 
Awesome stuff. <laughs> um, guys, from my end, go and check out the APL Index website. Obviously, Jake is one of the writers there. Um, some really awesome stuff on there. We have match previews, post-match reviews, player performances, also all of the news you guys could wish for, especially during this transfer window. Of course, go and check out the daily podcast show. It's the two-footer podcast where Dave Hendrick um, sort of discusses the happenings around the Premier League. Finally, also check out the flagship show that runs weekly. It's the EPL Roundtable, where Kev DeVries sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. You sometimes catch Jake on there as well, either hosting or being one of the panelists. It does sort of reviewing the Premier League weekend and possibly what's ahead in the week. Um, guys, go and follow this show's Twitter page at ATAD Predictable. Go follow at EPL Index. Subscribe to EPR Index provide um, podcast channel on your podcast providers. Give us five stars, write positive comments. Um, that stuff really, really does help us out. I've been Tadio Chanakira. You can find me on Twitter at Tad Predicts. Huge thank you to Obi Semenya. He's at John Empire SA. Jody McKenna, she's at Spursy141 for our guest intros. Mr. Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. He's behind the glass doing all the editing. Huge Thank you to him. And he's been Jake Jackman. You can find him at Jake Jackman on Twitter. That's Jake Jackman with two N's. And remember, Chisinga Perry, Chinoshua. Podcast Network.